is that building. A lot of, especially in a in a nightclub, and where you might have a heckler here and there, you have to be prepared to work with them. Arthur should have been very good at that, dealing with hecklers. When you dealt with hecklers, did you use Farfel as your? No, mostly mostly Danny can handle hecklers. Really? He, he, he's got he's got the personality for it. The he, smart Alec kid. Yeah, he is. He can look at a fellow who's giving him a bad time and and then and, and say, you know, who's working your head? Or, you know, things <laughs> things of that. So just 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 any kind of a put down that you know, usually, usually will shut them up. Yeah. And and not very many recognize that it's coming from you and not him. Well, that's true. Oh, my gosh. You know, I told people last week when we were telling them that you were going to be our guest this week that the first time I met you, I had asked you to, and I did this on the phone with you, I had asked you when we met in your office, could you have the kids there, uh, Farfel and Danny? And you said, oh, sure, that's not a problem. And I, I swear to you, Jimmy, I don't know how I thought you were going to show up with these two dummies, but it certainly wasn't in a steamer trunk. I could not believe what you, I mean, it was just, you were so gracious and so casual about this. Please describe how you store the dummies and what the case looks like. Well, uh, the, the case that they travel in, I say they, because Danny and Farfa travel in the same one, and I hate it, never mind. <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, thank goodness it's a split level. All right. It, uh, I, it, it looks kind of like a drum case, you know, uh -huh. dr drummer's case. It's uh, it's of that uh, fiber material, and it's black. And uh, uh, Farfel is uh, wrapped in foam, and he sits uh, on the bottom of it. And then uh, uh, Danny's head is wrapped in foam, and uh, they each have their little compartments that they they sit in in there. And uh, that's that's how they travel. Very very well packed because I know when you uh, travel on the airlines, uh, I know they pick them up and throw them. We know that. So uh, uh, and it hurts. Yes, I'm sure that it does. It's uh, <laughs> but, but, but they do. It's got this sensitive nose. Of, <laughs> yeah. Did they ever get lost? Only once. I've been very very lucky. Only once uh, did they not show up in time for the show, and uh, I had to go on. So I did Senior Wentz's act. I painted my hand up. And uh, made a talk uh, like when, like Winces does. <laughs> How creative! How did the audience respond to that? And when was this, by the way? It was. Uh, uh, I remember it well. It was uh, in uh, Knoxville, uh, Tennessee, and uh, I was doing a. Uh, if you, nobody remembers uh, Knoxville had a World's Fair a number of, uh, back in the 80s, mm -hmm. and I was doing that. And uh, uh, the the, uh, the figures arrived for the second show, so I, I was just fine. But, uh, yeah, I have to do something, so uh, that's what I did. I... How creative. Uh, you and Betty, tell people about your anniversary coming up, please. Um, which anniversary? Well, oh, I'm so sorry, your wedding anniversary. Oh, of course, of course. You and Betty, yeah. Yeah, my goodness. Let me see. We're coming up on our... <laughs> Boy, I'm glad she's not listening. <laughs> Boy, am I glad. 50, 53. Fifty-three. Yep. You are married fifty-three years. How did you meet your wife? Uh, she was a singer. She was also in show business. Uh, we met in Minneapolis. She, she was booked on the same show with me. She was my opening act, and uh, she's been my opening act ever since. Not bad. <laughs> yeah. Fifty-three no, years. That's where, we, that's where we first worked together, and uh, uh, my agent thought that that was a pretty good combination. So we we worked quite a few shows together after that, and uh, eventually. How long were you together before you got married? 
uh-huh. working together. Uh, oh, well, actually, uh, a couple of years before, uh, yeah. So, a while. Now, you and Betty raised six children. Yes. And you were on the road. Frequently. I mean, it, this was your job. You did not work out of an office in the back room. No, that's right. You were but, gone. How did you balance your personal life with your professional life? Well, I can I can say it wasn't easy because uh, so many of my friends in show business uh, uh, marriages broke up because of that. Uh, no, I was I, I was able to choose my bookings uh, uh, so that I could uh, be out and be in, be out and be in, so I could be back. Uh, uh, a decent amount of time. And, of course, in show business, you have time off, too. Sometimes time off is you don't want. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, then I'd be home uh, for a month or two at a time, and uh-huh. uh, then I'd be oh. off again. But I'd, I'd go off on two-week vacations, uh, vacation, uh, jobs, rather, and uh, uh, the only time I was waiting to like the time with Las Vegas, those were always a one-month uh, thing. But the... Uh, Betty, we, we had some help with the kids. She would very often fly out uh, and uh, spend some time with me on the road, too. Uh-huh. So we, we worked at it. Who were some of your best friends in show business, Jimmy? Well, I think uh, probably... Uh, I, I I don't have any best friends that are big stars. Mm-hmm. No, I have I have some of them who are writers. Mm-hmm. I have a gentleman who, who, who uh, after he wrote for me, wrote for uh, MASH, the show MASH, for a while. Fellow, my name is Sheldon Keller, and uh, uh, but as far as uh, real close friends in show business, probably uh, Jeff Dunham, uh, the uh, ventriloquist mm-hmm. I was telling you about, mm-hmm. whom I know for many years, yeah, very close. Uh, Jay Johnson, another vent, uh, and uh, but the, none, none of the uh, the big stars that you would, uh, you know, I don't pal around with the uh, with the A list. Did you ever socialize with uh, some of your contemporaries like Paul Winchell and Edgar Bergen? Did you get together? Did the kids have an opportunity to meet and talk with them? Yes. Uh, when, uh, when my kids were uh, were young, uh, we used to take them to the uh, to the Burl show. They would meet the, the Milton Burl and the people there. Uh, but uh, I, I had a chance to uh, work with Edgar Bergen uh, a couple of times, uh, on a, especially on a... Uh, an HBO special that we did just the year before he died. And uh, Paul Winchell, uh, I worked uh, on his show a couple of times with him and uh, uh, saw him out in Las Vegas. We got together uh, there a few years ago before he passed away. Uh, and here again at the uh, convention is where most of us get together and, and pal around. Uh-huh. Historically, what was, the best, what was the best city for you? Was there a favorite city that... Every time you knew you booked it in advance, that was going to be your place. Yeah, Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. The hometown. Uh, yeah. Uh, just I, I I know the th- I know the city well, and uh, uh, I've worked there many times in many of different uh, places, and they're always, uh, especially when they know you're from Chicago, then they're a great audience. Yeah. They like in in there. Uh, when when you worked with Edgar Bergen on an HBO special, or you worked with Paul Winchell, uh, those, those are two ventriloquists coming together in the same room. What happens when two ventriloquists with strong characters on their arms get together? Well, it's just like at the convention. We uh, we talk business. You know what what are you doing? Where are you where are you booking? What are you, what's going on? And uh, 
So you weren't performing together at the same time, like Danny was not talking to Charlie McCarthy or... Well, uh, with, with Paul Winchell and Jerry Mahoney, yes, we did work together. As a matter of fact, we did a routine where the dummies wanted, wanted to leave us. So uh, <laughs> Paul, Paul took Danny and I took Jerry, and we did a routine together, which took an awful lot of rehearsal because Paul was working Danny, but I was doing the voice. I was working Jerry, but he was doing the voice. And we did a song together, and uh, it, it took a bit of, of doing to synchronize wow. that. Wow. How was it received? Was this in front of a live audience? Yes, it was. On his, uh, it was on his television show. How did it go? It, it was very well received. It know. did. It, it flew well with the audience. That, that's kind of a risk, I, yes. I would think, from, from the uh, observer's point of view. That sounds like a risky thing to do. Well, it, I, I suppose it was. We didn't even think about it. We just did it. <laughs> what did your kids tell their friends when they asked, what did your father do? Uh, well, they, they were always uh, kind of proud of the fact that, uh, that I was in show business, and uh, they, they got to see me on television, and I'd take them down to some of the television shows. But uh, uh, as far as uh, Danny and Parkle and the rest of them go, uh, you don't play with these. These are not toys. Uh, these are what Daddy uses uh, in his work, and uh, so they, it was always taboo. I, I didn't bring them out uh, every other day and try routines for them and things of that sort. Uh, we kept that separate. How did Nestle, uh How did your contact with Nestle work? Did you have to produce a new spot every so months, or did they just wait till they thought it was time to do a new a new commercial? How did how did that all work out? They had uh, a schedule, and uh, as I said, when we started doing them, we did them all live. We did them live on the uh, Jackie Gleason show. We did them live on the, uh, the, the, the summer stage show with Tommy and Jimmy Dorsey and, and a few others. Uh, but uh, later on, we went to film. And uh, so when we went to film, they decided uh, when they wanted new ones and uh, when they continued to use the old one. We, we did them. I, I'll bet we, over the, the 10 years, I'll bet I did uh, commercials uh, every every other month or so. We'd go in and do one or two new ones. Wow. So we kept uh, kept them fresh that way. How long did it take you to do a single commercial? The commercials in those days were uh, one-minute spots, and we would sometimes take uh, two days to do to do them. Uh, one of them was a two-minute spot, and uh, we spent the better part of a week doing that. Wow. Because there were some set, a couple of different sets involved. Uh-huh. Now they, uh, they, the production values on those uh, film commercials were very well done. Was it always done in New York when you filmed? Where was Nestle based, and were they always filmed in New York, or did you go somewhere else to uh, do the commercials? Well, Nestle is, is based actually in uh, Bavy, Switzerland. Okay. Uh, but, of course, they, uh, they had their offices at that time in New York. They're now out in uh, Glendale, California. That's where they have their offices now. But uh, most of them were done in New York, yes, in, uh, in the studios in New York. But we did travel from time to time. We did some in Miami. Uh, that one uh, we were talking about earlier with the uh, amusement park commercial was done in Miami. And we did a couple out on the West Coast, out in Hollywood. We did one out at SeaWorld. Uh, but most of them were done in uh, in New York. Mm. Most of them were studio productions, if I'm hearing you correctly. 
Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, Sometimes I, I make a statement and it should be a like I say, some of them are location, uh, such as the Miami and the and the uh, Sea World. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. And were they ever in reruns? Not now. Uh, Not now. Uh, they, we did. Uh, well, actually, we did some new ones for them uh, back in uh, 1990. Uh, they had they brought Farfel back again for a uh, Christmas season special. I remember that one. Yeah, and that's that's one we uh, we flew over to London to uh, shoot uh, because they had special uh, things there that they wanted to use in a, in a studio over there. Wow. They they did a multiple Farfel thing. At the, at the end of the the commercial, you saw a room full of Farfels. All, all singing the Nestle song. That's on uh, YouTube as well. Is that? I didn't realize Yes, that. it is. If you go up there and punch in Farfel, the, the Christmas doggies come up. It's a whole page full of Farfel. Farfel, oh. are you okay with that? I love it. Keep it up. <laughs> yes. The only thing I miss are the residuals. Oh, no residuals? Do you get residuals for something like that? No, we don't. No, when, when they, all these things on YouTube, they're, they're all uh, public domain at this point. But when, uh, for example, if Nestle's took these and said, these are really good, we're going to run them again for Christmas this year. Mm -hmm. Well, then we'd have to negotiate. You would? Okay. Oh, oh sure. Okay, so it, it was not um, work for pay or work for hire, as they would call it in the writing industry, where you take your money, you go home, and they can do anything with it, including paper the walls. Yeah. No, no, they we would have to... Uh go back into negotiation you would, again. Yes. You would no negotiate that. Which, which we had to do back in 1990. Yeah. What are ventriloquists, um, no, the, the art of ventriloquism. Ventriloquism is really an art. It's not um, a thing that you do. It's an art. I'm glad to hear you say that. Yes. Well, it is. Um, do, do you refer to it as art or something different? No, that uh, it, it's called uh, the art of ventriloquism. Yeah. And, and indeed it is. Now, I have read that you are probably the greatest supporter and willing mentor to young ventriloquists. I, am I on target with that? I think I am. Well, I may not be the, 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 the most, uh, but I, I certainly spend enough time at, at the convention with, uh, with the, the kids, uh -huh. and uh, we, we do our best to, uh, to, to give them the pointers that they need. Uh, I actually have two uh, uh, albums out on uh, ventriloquism instruction that, that we give out to the uh, kids uh, every year, and uh, and, and uh, they're on they're on the uh, internet. They can be bought uh, by uh -huh. people who are interested in, in ventriloquism. Yeah. Uh, ventriloquism interest waned for quite a while, and it seems to be making a resurgence. Why did it lose spark with an audience or? That's not really the right thing. The spark was always there. The audience didn't didn't sit down to listen to it, and now it's coming back. Why the evolution in well, there? I, th I think I mentioned earlier that the, the variety shows on television, particularly Ed Sullivan, went off the air. Uh, there were no venues for us to be seen uh, all over the country, but ventriloquists uh, were always working. Uh, a lot of them uh, regionally, uh, you know, rather than uh, nationally. Uh, but the demand was not uh, there because it wasn't uh, it wasn't popularized, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, these three that I mentioned uh, suddenly became visible again, such as Jeff Dunham, who was on the Comedy Channel regularly, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Terry Fader, who won the America's Got Talent, and, uh, got a lot of publicity, and Jay Johnson, who uh, had a Broadway show. All three happening 
almost simultaneously, and all of a sudden uh, ventriloquism is in vogue again, and uh, rightly so, because they have uh, they've modernized it, they've made it popular uh, again. So uh, I'm very, very pleased about that. Was Jay Johnson the ventriloquist who had the part in Soap, the yes. comedy? Yes, he and was. And he had a, Bob on his arm? That, he was, that was uh, Jay, yes. Okay, that's the one. So he was really doing an introduction to uh, the new generation of ventriloquism when he did that performance. Yes, he was, and that's a few years back. Yes. Uh, so that may have been uh, uh, helped the start of it, yes. Uh-huh. I had a story about Don Knotts. It just blew me away that his picture was up there as having started his career as a ventriloquist. Did you read the story uh, that's associated with his name? I, d I didn't read the uh, story you're talking about, but I had heard that uh, he had uh, started as a ventriloquist. As a matter of fact, so had Johnny Carson. Yes, uh, um, and Ted Baxter, the one who, um, what's, what, oh gosh, <laughs> I know him as Ted Baxter. Who played Ted Baxter? Yeah, Ted, Ted uh, yeah, well. Uh, you know who I mean. I know who you mean because he was in the audience the, uh, the night we shot that uh, vent event for, uh, for the home box office. But, uh, oh, wow. Ted, Ted oh, how neat. Yeah. Well, the story that's up there about Don Knotts was that during World War II in the Army, he was doing ventriloquism and was entertaining his unit, but they were on one of the islands, and when his unit left Manus Island, he left his dummy on the beach and reported him as missing in action. Now, that's just, I don't, you don't even have to have a sense of humor without, <laughs> you cannot not laugh that, at that. That's, that, that's a funny a funny idea. He, he, I guess that was his sense of humor. It, I mean, it just blew me away that somebody could have the, the temerity to do something like that. Did you ever do something that was out of character for you? Oh, I suppose I have. I, I can't think of being any off offhand. I did a I did a dramatic part in in a television show. Uh, uh, oh, back in the '60s, it was uh, just just a story. Naturally, it was a story about a ventriloquist, but I I had to do. Uh, do a whole uh, acting bit, and uh, I must have been, uh, must have really uh, been good because they never asked me back again. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a reputation. I have read um, that your nickname is Gentleman Jim. Oh my! Uh, that from... was that was given to me by uh, <laughs> by Kelly Asbury, who uh, who wrote the book. I think no. Kelly is absolutely on target, because uh, when I saw it, I thought, oh, this is absolutely correct. And you just proved it, because what I was looking for was something as lunatic as Don Knotts did, as, which is out of character, um, I guess not for him, but no. I wondered if you had done anything on the edge, on, on kind of the wild side. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think of anything really wild at the moment, no. <laughs> Farfel, how about you? Well, I don't know. I spend so much time in the suitcase, I don't get a chance. <laughs> you should be wild by the time you get out. You should be ready to do something wild. No, no, no. no. That's not Danny, my how about you? Not my character, no, no. no. Danny? Yeah, well, listen, I've been known to, uh, you know, to tell a few off-color stories, but uh, not in front of an audience. <laughs> okay, well, what did you expect me to ask tonight? Expect? Yeah, or hope that I I would ask. Well, I was hoping you would say um, I'm awfully glad uh, that you were on the show, and I'm going to say I'm awfully glad I was too. 
Well, boy, am I glad you were on the show. You keep saying at different points in time, I, I'm just so glad that somebody remembers, or I'm so glad that people remember. I am here to tell you, anyone who has ever been exposed to you cannot forget. Well, you're very kind. And, and I do you always You always are. Well, thank you, but I, I do mean it from my heart. Do you have any questions for us? Any questions? Yeah. Yes, uh, I, I'm very pleased to, to get a couple of uh, calls uh, tonight. Do you, do you get a lot of uh, call-ins? Um, frequently, we don't get any at all, so I'm, I'm really delighted. And that reminds me, we should probably tell people you've got one more chance, just a couple of minutes to talk with Jimmy Nelson, um, comment, <laughs> uh, memory, a question, just anything at all. It's 714 Seven, one. And we're talking with Jimmy Nelson, the ventriloquist, and his pals. All right. Okay. Yep. We are, we, it depends, Jimmy. A lot of times we get notes that send an email we just prefer to listen. Uh-huh. You know. Good. I, I gave out my email address last week, and I got a couple of emails that said, yep, we're really out here and we're listening, but I just don't feel good about calling in. Basically, we got notes that 114 countries listen to us, Jimmy. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? That's marvelous. You know, so that, that, that's pretty nice, you know. You got one more opportunity, everybody, 714-545-2071 is our number, 714-545-2071. Jimmy, you wake up in the middle of the night with a routine, or, I mean, how do you, in your mind, prepare for a new routine or a new show or uh, you would just basically nowadays just wait till you get on stage and everything comes out 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 of you naturally. Yeah, well these days of course I have a set routine mm -hmm. because I very seldom have the same audience, mm -hmm. uh, so I don't have the problem I had when I did nightclubs. And uh, the, the stuff that I do now is stuff I've I've done. I keep it fresh. I I keep it modern, but uh, a lot of the timing is still the same as I have been doing for years. Mm -hmm. So I, I really don't have to do much changing today. But every so often I come up with a new idea, or better yet, my wife does. And uh, I'll, we, we have to write it down right away, especially if I add lip something on a show. As soon as I come off stage, Betty says, write it down so you don't mm. forget it. Because mm -hmm. that, you can so easily forget an ad lib, and if it gets a laugh, you might as well leave it in. Sure. Sure. She sounds like a remarkable lady. I've never had an opportunity to meet her. Well, I hope we can rec uh you know, uh, fix that. Fix that. <laughs> yes, I, I hope so, because she really is. Um, from all the people I have talked to over the years who have met her or know her, they all say the same thing. She is a very well, special that's lady. Nice to hear, and I will pass that on. Thank you. Very special lady. I am at the end of my questions. Jimmy, is there a way that people can get in touch with you, or should they send an email to me and I can forward it to you? What would what would be the best? Yes, that would be that would be very nice if uh, they could contact you and uh, you know where to contact me. And I will forward them. Very good. That sounds good. I'd love to hear from my goodness all those countries you're in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so wonderful, and I'm I'm just so delighted that you spent the time with us. I overstayed my welcome. We're way over time here, well. and I. I apologize. Um, I, I just, uh, like I said, I'll make breakfast. Uh, okay, that sounds good to me. <laughs> but I, I, I enjoyed every minute of it, and uh, thank you very much for asking me. And me. And me. Right. And there's one more over there. Humphrey, he left the room. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> I beg, I, wait, 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 wait. I'm here. I'm back. Yeah, Humphrey, yeah. It's, it was so nice to meet you and uh, a pleasure. Jimmy, thank you so much. You were wonderful. Thank you, Patricia. Awful, always good to talk to you. Thank you. And, and uh, Walden, thank you so much for having me on. You bet, Jimmy. We'll have you back sometime when you're ready to come back. Very good. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye now. And that was our... Patricia's good friend, the one and only Jimmy Nelson. I think he made Patricia's night. And why don't we play a song and we'll re-hook up here on Yesterday USA. And if not, I would have to scramble for the rest of the night. Oh, yeah. Can you turn me down one more notch? Sure. Sure. Let's turn you down. There you go. All right. That's better. Thank boy, you. Boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Oh, yeah. I have to say hi to two people and then give my email address in case somebody wants to drop a note that I can forward to Jimmy Nelson. Can I say hi to some people? It's your show. Uh, it's not my show. It's Walden's show, and I get to come out and play, and I'm so I'm, I'm very happy that I can do that. I am too. I want to say hi to Dennis, who sent me an email, and I thank you so much. Um, he said that <laughs> his um, subject line was, yes, there are peeps out here, <laughs> because last week I had asked, if there's anybody out there, please let us know. And I want to say hi to... Noni in Arizona. Lynn is our DJ who 
has been out sick, and um, I just want to say hi to them. I hope they're listening. Oh, well, we got. We also need to thank a, th- a third person. We've been thinking about ta- thanking him the last couple of weeks. Who's uh, that? Uh, our, our college professor down in Alabama. The one that sent us the the, the song, uh, the Danny Kaye song. Oh, Dave! Yeah. Yes. Well, um, David, you're going to um, play the song one night. I, 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 I when, once we can figure out how to play that puppy song, yes. Okay, and well, I still um, got some work on. Still got to work on how we can put that up on the. Uh, for most people wondering, well, when I send a song to Wall, why can't he play it? Well. Wong Studio is at the moment not equipped to run MP3s. Just just Wong little computer. So you can you can listen to them, but you can't play them. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But you know, but that's that's where we are. Now, if know. I if I think I sent that in a wave format. Right, and I try to put it in. Somehow my computer did my studio just didn't like like that. Just doesn't like it, you know. Mm-mm-mm. Fussy, fussy, fussy. I know. Well, the CD anyway. player the CD player I had in there before that one died. Could play MP3, but that one get that one decided to give up the ghost at four at uh, three hours before showtime on a Friday night. Oh, brother! And you know, Wong, Wong, Wong thank, grateful he also could have played cassettes, but uh, the Friday night theme songs on on CDs. So, Walden, Dad, and Philip are in here pulling things out and looking around what was in the warehouse, and we thought the one in the in the shed. Was one that died and never, never, uh, we, dad never threw away, but we put that in and hit a few buttons and it decided to wake up and, uh, that's, the, that's the current CD player, so. Great. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll fix that. I think David is in Mississippi. That's right. Somewhere down there in the, in, old, in the South. So I want to give people old, my email address so you can get in touch with me. You can say, hey, you're listening. And also send a note for Jimmy Nelson, and I'll make sure that he gets it. I am at floridawriter at hotmail.com. I am a writer who lives in Florida, so it's all one word, Florida Writer, W-R-I-T-E-R, Florida Writer at hotmail.com. And I would love to hear from you that you are listening. And also uh, send a note for Jimmy Nelson, and I would be so happy to be able to pass it on to him. And you can always give us a call tonight at 714-545-2071. And because it, yes, we have trivia questions. Trivia! Trivia! Patricia Potluck Trivia. Potluck, I've got bonus questions, I've got cranium crackers, we've got a little everything she's tonight. Got, she's got peanut butter, she's got cheese, she's got crackers, and trivia to please. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> I don't have the cheese. <laughs> Actually, I have cheese, but no crackers. So um, anyone who wants to come out and uh, have munchies with us has to bring the crackers. And if you miss Jimmy Nelson, shame on you, but... Uh, Kim was so nice to put a link over there on YouTube from the, on the Saturday night page. My understanding is at the bottom of the page where the program is, and you can click on that and see some of Jimmy's handiwork. Mm. It's not even a YouTube connection oh, as that's far right. as I know. The one that I had Spike. sent to you, yeah. and I think I forwarded it to Kim, yeah. is a connection to the Ventriloquist's museum site which has pure videos it, it no advertising no nothing just a pure little video of farfel and danny doing their thing it's 
really cute. That's pretty nice. Yeah. So Jimmy Nelson did do old-time radio. Isn't that nice? I love it. Oh, I never right. knew that. Thank you for asking him. I never knew that he had done radio. Well, I think we need to invite him to some of the old-time radio convention. He's got a, definitely a true tie to it. Oh, I think so, and he can move his lips. Yeah. Radio, he can move his lips. That's true. 714-545-2071. If you have... If you want to, if you want to come in and play trivia, or if you want to answer Walden's Saturday night question of the evening, I have one, and we'll talk about that here in a second. Uh, just to remind you, uh, tomorrow I'll run uh, my current monthly spot with Martin Graham to talk about his radio show Cavalcade Cave of America. We'll also feature uh, Ray Bream's interview with Jim Backus, and that will be tomorrow night, uh, next weekend. Uh, on March the 12th, uh, our friend Gloria McMillan will be on. Her birthday's next weekend. And I thought it'd be fun to have Gloria to celebrate her birthday. She was Harriet in R.M.S. Brooks. Uh, next Friday, Saturday, we'll have, uh, Samantha Kelly, who is a expert on Dick Powell at the beginning of the show. And then probably, I will run, before Patricia, I, on Monday, I'll probably do an interview with Betty Rose, the widow of David Rose, the famous composer for Red Skelton and all those famous shows. And then uh, next Sunday, March the 14th, uh, live at 11 o'clock Eastern, will be Richard Lamparski. Richard is the gentleman who wrote a, a series of books called Whatever Became Of which was a great series, uh, that he would look for a hundred personalities of show business or politics and go look what where they what happened to them. He did interviews and took pictures of what they looked like at that time and early picture of what they looked before. And he had a great enough career, he wrote eleven volumes of that. He had his own oh. ra- had his own radio show out in New York for at least seven years. And so it will be fun to have Richard Lamparky live uh, March the 14th. And then those of you who love Groucho March, Monday, March the 15th, Frank Fronte will be on with Bill and Mike. So that's some of the uh, schedule. And who knows what else Walden will dig up. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Walden's well, always working. A collection of wonderful guests. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. And, uh, Patricia and I will have some other guests coming here on the 20th of March. Martin Graham will join Patricia live to talk about information, please. Scheduled My on tippy top shows. Yeah. Love that show. Scheduled on uh, April the 10th is John Abbott, who's written a three-volume set of Johnny Dollar. On uh, April the 7th, well, no, we better back up. Friday, April the 16th, uh, Patricia and I will be doing a a, a mini 12-hour marathon on Fibber, McGee, and Molly. Because that Friday, Fibber, McGee, and Molly will have turned 75 years on the air. And we're going to have three cast members of the show, from Robert Easton to Gloria McMillan to Shirley Mitchell. Patricia will get the chance to talk to all three about their careers and about their days in Fibber, McGee, and Molly. We'll feature shows, we'll feature archival interviews, we'll have a great day celebrating Jimmy Million, Jordan, Fibber, McGee, and Molly. Then the day after, 
uh, Corinne Schultz, who wrote a, wrote a book on uh, Fred McGee and Molly, will be with Patricia. And then on Saturday, May 1st, Michael Haig, who wrote a new book on Superman, will be on with Patricia. So, those are some of the happenings on the station, and, you know, long and just... Lots and lots and lots and lots of good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I have a question for the audience, and maybe Patricia can put her thinking cap on. I was just thinking here, I'm working on some projects, and... Uh, all sort of radio-related, you know, basically um, taking some of the classic radio or detective series of the 30s, 40s, and hopefully we're going to put them in a, you know, bring them into today's radio audience. And some of the people are really familiar with old-time radio, and some are not, you know, people who are involved. And I got thinking, I think it's important that if you're going to do audio drama, you need to know what old-time radio was like. It's just my humble opinion, because I, I'm partial. I think that was the foie mignon of audio, audio broadcasting. And I got thinking, okay. If I came across people in our age bracket, who are 40s, 50s, and who knows what, whoever people want to volunteer to, to do, and they never heard old-time radio, what radio series or what shows would you introduce them to? So, if you have some ideas out there, folks, I would love to hear that. Are you talking shows in general or the detective shows? I'm talking shows in general. You know what my choice was. I know. <laughs> I know. Yours, but I'm interested in what the audience is going to say. Okay, I would feature these series or the particular show I would feature. Uh, if you got time to send, email me your top 100 shows, individual shows, or top 10, or top 5. Love to hear that. I was thinking, a couple things came to mind. I'll just give you what I was thinking. If I had, um, people who'd never heard old-time radio, who were in our age bracket, and who, you know, of course we know what, uh, comedy series I think Patricia would nominate. But I got thinking, well... There's some other series in other genre I think that I would like to introduce them to. They're saying, I think this is what radio should be like. Mm-hmm. And two came off the back for me. And I'm just thinking, you know, today's audience is so used of TV and things like that. It's like you have to retrain their ears. And I was thinking maybe the six shooter. And Frontier Gentleman might be uh, two series I would introduce them. That I love the writing, and I love the acting, and I think they're so vivid. That's just a couple of things that popped up to mind. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. You know, so if you guys have some thoughts out there, I would appreciate that. 714-545-2071. Well, I would toss in a couple of detective shows, and I'm partial to Sam Spade and Philip Marlowe. Mm-hmm. And the old hard-boiled ones who are strictly fiction. Uh, there, there's no way that you could get a reality show out of any mm-hmm. of these. And I think that's the quintessential um, part of radio, where you just and you just go with the show. And I think those two would do it. Is there a particular episode of Philip Marlowe, a particular episode of Sam Spade you can think of? I would have to go back and look, but I don't think so. Okay. 
Nothing Hello. jumps out in my brain. Hello, caller. Hello, Walden. Hello, Jim. I wonder why I thought it might be you. Well, I, you know, they're, they're, it, it's such a grab bag. It's, uh, and I always, when, whenever I make packages for people mm-hmm. of different radio shows, my challenge has always been, okay, you pick your series, but what episode best represents the series? And that is always a challenge. Well, I always, I'm thinking of what the very best. I want, I want to introduce people to, I think, the filet mignon. Um, you know, because I, I have a, a bias that I think a lot of modern radio is not quite to the standard of what I think it should be. Oh, of course. We, we all agree on mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess in different genres, I, I well, for Jack Benny, well, for comedy, you'd have to say Jack Benny, undoubtedly, and, and I would put in anyone from the Lucky era. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could, I mean, there are so many there from a particular the episode, or a particular episode, you would say. Well, I would say my personal favorite actually was the Christmas shopping one in Palm Springs about the dates. Yep, that, that's a good one. That's Mel Blanc. Mm-hmm. I mean, they we're all good with Mel Blanc, but for some reason that one has just struck me as funny about the dates with nuts and the dates without nuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I remember that one. That was a good one, Jim. You're right. Mel Blanc. Uh, Fibber McGee, I would certainly, I would say either... The, the 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 first one I ever heard, which was the Magic Act. Yeah, from 1948. Yeah. Or Wimple's Bird Book, which was the first excerpt I ever heard. Both involved the closet. Is that the one with the uh, pigeon? Yeah, the, the passenger pigeon. Passenger pigeon, yeah. And I'm I'm sure Patricia has heard enjoyed both of those. I love the passenger pigeon one. And the magic act was funny because, you know, the burglar, tr- the closet truly benefited Fibber McGee when it was cluttery that time. Came to his rescue. There's no doubt about that. Yes. And okay. Uh, for Westerns, I would pick Gunsmoke and Have Gun Will Travel. And people who have heard the t- seen the TV Gunsmoke would be totally enthralled with the radio. The episode I would pick. For Gunsmoke, my personal favorite was September 20th, 1952, episode number 22 called Drop Dead is the name of the episode. It has to do with this greedy, there's a drought in near Dodge, and this greedy rancher fences his pond in so that the cattle, cowboys cannot water their cattle. Yeah, I've heard that one. Uh-huh. A great show, and of course, another one that might be a close second was the previous week's show, which Walden has played. Home surgery, where Matt Dillon saves, tries to save Mr. Hantree's life. You know, the, the, the leg amputation mm-hmm. one. Great episode. And for Have Gun, I would pick The Teacher, January 25th, 1959. That was where Paladin comes to the town where this teacher is forbidden to teach the truth about history. Helen Cleave plays her. And some, some one of the ranchers there was one of Quantrill's writers, and she did not think much of Quantrill, one of the Kansas Raiders before the Civil War, and the teacher was encountering a lot of prejudice from the townspeople, and Paladin uh, came to her rescue on the grounds that history must be taught the way it really happened and couldn't be sugar-coated. A good episode. And I don't know if you've ever heard that one, Patricia, but it was a good have-gun. I did, and I, I enjoy Have Gun Will Travel. I think it's a great show. Um, John Daner was so good in everything he did. And, you know, there are other, you know, suspense. Now, that's really a hard one because suspense, 
for, for mystery and horror and crime. There were 945 shows, and at least 920 of them are available. And I would not pick Sorry, Wrong Number, I have to tell you, because to me, and this is just an opinion, it may be blasphemy in the old-time radio community to say it, I always thought Sorry, Wrong Number was overrated. I liked Agnes Moorhead. She gave a great performance. But there were better suspenses she did. I mean, maybe because it was done so many times and played so many times. Sometimes if you've heard a show so many times, it kind of loses its impact. It's also, I think, not the best show. Um, it's, it's not a best introduction when you take something that's familiar and already in someone's head and try to reshape it in another format or another performance. Uh, it's, it's like doing Fiddler on the Roof in a high school play um, or even a, a, a traveling show, there's only one caveat. And when you try to impress on people that they have to appreciate and think that the next show is identical, it's not. Right. Well, I, you know, I can tell you from personal experience, we saw Fiddler on the Roof, a stage performance at a huh? Chicago, I was in a, in a school in Chicago, and my mother and us went to a dinner playhouse and saw a local version of it. Uh-huh. And the man's name was Bert Pelty, I think was his name, who played Tabia. And it's true he wasn't Zero Mustel or Herschel Bernardi, but but it, but for those who had never seen a stage play, it was a real thrill to see it. If you've never heard a play or you've never heard a show, then there's no problem. But if you take a show, um, if, if you offer a radio show to people who have already heard that particular story somewhere else, it's it, you, you can't expect them to make the like, translation. Like if they saw Sorry, Wrong Number, the movie of Barbara Stanwyck, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they have seen it, why? It, 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 it just I just don't think it can happen. You're asking people to surrender the familiar and accept the unfamiliar when they've already have a tattoo on their brain. A far better one for Agnes Moorhead was one that the, that the same author, Lucille Fletcher, wrote, and John Dunning agrees, The Diary of Sophronia Winters. I would recommend as a far better suspense to introduce Agnes Moorhead, and and I, and, another, and of course you have to include Mission Completed if James Stewart is another great suspense. To- why I'm asking for the play mignon. I'm thinking these are, you know, people in our late forties and fifties who maybe never heard any old time radio but definitely know entertainment. I would well, I would say Diary of Sophronia Winners for Suspense and Mission Completed. Mm-hmm. Certainly uh I would introduce the Radio City Playhouse and I can think of a number of good shows. The premiere episode Long Distance was an excellent one with Dan Minor. A great story. Um, on detective shows, let's see. Certainly, my, I guess uh, the, my favorite adventures of Philip Marlowe was one called uh, The Open Window. It was the first one I ever heard. And I, I can't give you any specific reason for liking the story, but I just Gerald Moore's performance in it and some things he said at the end that made you think about his involvement with humanity and man. Um I would say any of the the five-part Johnny Dollar episodes, certainly the uh, the Christmas one. I believe it was called was it the Nick the Nick 
something matter. It was in December of 50. Yeah, Nick Churn. Nick Churn, uh-huh. yeah, a Christmas episode. <laughs> that was an excellent one to introduce Johnny Dollar. Um, I, of course, we've talked before about Dragnet. I would not do uh, the one every, ones everyone's heard. I, 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 the, the, I would pick maybe the episode that Neil put on his uh, sample MP3, and that was episode number... 12, about a rookie policeman who was training to be a policeman, and uh, his wife doesn't want him to, poli- to be a policeman, and Jeff Chandler plays this rookie cop, and he asks Joe Friday to come out to the house and talk his wife into accepting the fact that he wanted to be a policeman, and it was a very moving show, um, and that that was one of my favorites, certainly... Uh, uh, and 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 on let's see, I would do Studio One. I, there were a number of I would like their Red Badge of Courage to represent high drama. You know, the, 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 when I say high drama, I mean where literature was adapted on radio. And I know Patricia, you enjoy literature a lot. Did you enjoy both Studio One and the NBC University Theater for their literary adaptations? I don't think I've ever heard any, Jim. You haven't? Okay. I don't think so. I'm still a newbie. Right. Well, the NBC University Theater was an adaptation of great plays and great literature. It ran from 48 to like 51. Yeah. That show is heard a lot on the New York uh, Old Time Radio Club on tape mm-hmm. six. Now, there, there was a series, um, My Best Story. Or my favorite story? My best story. Favorite story. Both favorite of them, yeah. story. And they did some really wonderful... Um, right, Lawrence and Lee did that. Janet Janet Waldo's husband, husband was yeah. involved. Uh-huh. And uh, that was really good stuff. Um, you know, that That's a good way to introduce literature to people. And, Most, and or, Aladdin and the, you know, the 40 Thieves. And they, they took a whole lot of... Um, Everyday stuff, I say everyday stuff. I mean, they, they translated from literature into fun half-hour plays, and I think they were exceptionally well done. They were, and, uh, and, 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 and different people, celebrities and authors and people picked the story they best liked, mm-hmm. and it showed their, the, a very diverse taste. Yes. NBC University Theater, I think you would like, because they did everything from... Uh, an American tragedy to all the king's men to after the summer dies the swan you know a wide assortment of uh, of uh, of great literature and the same way with Studio One if if you have a chance to check out those series uh, they're the cream of the crop I think of the of the literary genre the Mercury Theater also would I guess was would, you could also include in that you know because certainly Orson Welles did a lot of great stories and I would I, by the way I would not recommend the War of the Worlds to, rec- to represent the Mercury Theater because like Sorry Wrong Number it's been heard so many times it was a good show don't get me wrong we're talking though about a group of people who have not been introduced to radio right. 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 Well, maybe they've heard about the War of the Worlds, but to represent Orson Welles' talent, I guess, is what I'm saying. There were there were better Mercury Theater stories that he did. Uh, certainly his... Uh, well, as a kid, when I was 10 years old and I was first introduced to the Mercury Theater, the one that grabbed my ears was Treasure Island. Oh, that was great. Yeah. The second show. Yeah. And, of course, the other one that Walden played last year that I really enjoyed, the one about Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. 
I would certainly introduce Mr. President to anybody to, to represent how radio or Cavalcade of America, any one of those two series, to represent how radio did American history. Uh, because Mr. President, certainly, because you didn't know the name of the president until the last paragraph in the story, and it gave you a chance to test, give the listener a chance to test their historical knowledge. And Cavalcade of America, because it, as you will learn tomorrow night from uh, Martin, it covered the gamut of everything that was great about America, from its founding up to the modern modern times. In the, in the 18 years it was on the air, it covered everything. And there's, I guess there's so many you could pick, but certainly the Cavalcade of America is a series that everyone should at least hear one episode of. And let's see, science fiction, any, I guess, I, I would pick for Dimension X, I would pick Mars is Heaven as a great show, and, or, or The Green Hills of Earth, either one of those. And X-1, one of their funnier episodes, it's called The Lifeboat Mutiny. It was a hilarious story with Mandel Kramer and William Redfield and Leon Janney. If you hear that show... You will be laughing like crazy. I know when I first heard it, I was practically on the floor because it was just—it's something that could only be done on radio, TV. It could never work because you have to imagine the whole story and the whole sequence. Very funny, and that—that's just a general idea. You know, I sure. there were other series I suppose we could think of, but certainly those to me those represent that I mentioned represent the cream of the crop. Those are the ones you would nominate. Yes. Well, good. And I know that, uh, and of course, as you say, when you, when you pick episodes, that's that's when it really becomes hard. Mm -hmm. you, have to, you know, it's like picking your favorite children in some cases. Mm -hmm. Is that always a problem, Patricia? When you make a package for someone and give them radio shows, and you want to represent different series, is it always hard for you to pick? It's possible. Sometimes I sit here and I I say, okay, I'll put those three in. No, 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 no. And it, it depends on the day. It depends on what I'm listening to. Finally, I have to simply say, that's enough. Just send it. Right. Well, you know, Radio Spirits, a number of years ago, did a great package when Carl Amari was running Radio Spirits. It was called Old Time Radio's Greatest Shows, and he picked 60, one, 60 episodes, from, or one episode from 60 different series. And he did a pretty good job of representing those series, the episodes he picked, just basically as an introduction uh -huh. to old-time radio. And I've given that gift several times to people. Sometimes I will put in shows, if I'm putting together a collection or a representative assortment, I will put in shows that I would never listen to a second time because of my tastes, but they were spectacular examples of exceptional writing or exceptional you there I think I lost Patricia oh boy technology technology that's okay so we'll call Losing? yeah we lost you there for a second Patricia oh it wasn't my fault oh well that's okay <laughs> you just talking about hear how you... what I was saying <laughs> no we just heard you we just heard you uh dead air for 10 seconds over there well for goodness sakes I got killed well, how about that? No, I'm, I, I don't know how much um, I said or how much managed to I'm get through, but you... um, the, the comment I was making was that sometimes I will put together a CD 
of what I think is a good representative assortment, but it includes shows that I would never listen to a second time. And they're included because of exceptional writing or exceptional acting or there is something that is outstanding about a particular show, but it doesn't necessarily meet my tastes. That doesn't take away from the show itself. Right, because we all have favorites that we like, mm -hmm. like just like movies or television or books. Or... These are shows I just don't like. I don't want to hear them again. I'm sorry I sat through them the first time because I get spooked easily. I mean, anything more elaborate than Charlie Chan, I'm, I'm toast. So, you know, the, the suspense and um, lights out, I, I don't do well with those shows. I really get spooked, and I'm... I think a classic example of that, I think Patricia would agree it's a great show, but she'd probably never listen to it again. And it's something I've played, and people grab people, it's three skeleton key. Oh, yeah. It's the escape, on either escape or suspense, yeah. Escape. <laughs> escape of Vincent Price is what I always choose. Okay. Thing on the forable board. That's another one, yeah. On Quiet, Please. Yeah. I mean, that thing is darn near terrifying. Yeah. And it is such an exceptionally well-done show. I'll put like, it in. I'll tell you what spoofed me as a kid was Orson Welles' The Hitchhiker. Oh, yeah. As a kid, the way that there was in 42 and the whole suspense uh, really can, can be very spooky. Yes, and, and him doing it. And, and uh, I, see, I, I don't know if I've ever been actually scared by a show. I've been, uh, I've been you know... I guess, I guess, affected by shows. Uh, I don't know if I've ever really been scared. I mean, uh, and I, and I, having having never seen a horror movie and only heard heard the soundtrack, I can't say I've even been scared by a movie. I remember my sister when she saw The Exorcist when she was about, uh, I guess she would have been sixteen, seventeen. She came home just, and she's never been scared. My sister is a very strong, stable person, uh, very intelligent. Very, but but this movie scared her so bad that she she actually asked my mom if she could stay, you know, stay in the bedroom that night. And it, and, it, and I'm thinking like, if it reminded me when that this happened of these kids that used to get scared of I Love a Mystery and Inner Sanctum, and I said I can imagine how much more scary. Hearing those stories must have been, if seeing a movie scares you, I can imagine how hearing a story on one of those big council radios in your living room when you're 10 or 11 or 12 years old must really be a scary experience. And I guess imagining the, the, the villain or the monster or, you know, whatever, uh, whatever the, the terror was. But I think that uh, today, do you, I mean... Do, do my big worry about, and you're talking about people in our age bracket who never heard old-time radio, well, right? That's what I was thinking, yeah. People, I think they should get a feel what audio theater and broadcasting is like. Right, right. well, they, they should not, you know, I, I, what I fear... Because I, uh, I, I'm just, uh, I just think so many have tuned into TV and movies, uh, they think that way. Yeah, the, and I, I think audio drama is, is a different skill set sometimes. Right, and the other thing, I fear that people who are working in the business now, and I'm, I'm talking about audio producers, people that might produce these things, who really have no memory or, or point of reference for audio drama, want scenes to be short. You know, in, in other words, they want, they want things to be short and, uh, 
drama drama scenes to be short, where the tension spans are short, like uh, we've talked before about how radio news is so short now, and they're worried about, will people really sit still and listen for even a minute or two? And that's my one concern about, uh, and and I certainly wish a lot of these new projects great success, but it's just my concern is, people learning how to listen again and have they have they lost the art i mean i guess audiobooks prove that people will listen if given but they have to almost be uh, but but i guess it's one thing reading a book versus hearing a story my 20 year old housemate daughter still can't get used to the idea of me listening to a story she, she finds it just mind-boggling that they could do a story with, on a te- without a picture, she's she's still amazed by that, and I I try to explain to her that you know there there was a time when there was no television, and that's what you had. But uh, and and that that's my big concern is getting you know people's ten- attention spans are so short now. Yep. But. Certainly, you, you you people are doing a lot to try to keep that alive, and I and I certainly wish you well on these on these new projects. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate that. I just wanted the audience input. I, I threw some ideas on at the table, but I think I think it's important. Which I'm I'm gonna make sure we reach to what I think is uh, first rate. And I, and I think you know you have you you've been collecting a lot. Mm-hmm. You know you know what's what's good and what 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 you personally like, and mm-hmm. you certainly should put your own input in on that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, we all have, you know, di- like I say, different different ideas, but uh, the thing was, when, when you realized there was so much of it out there, when you think of, uh, I think we talked last week about John Dunning's book, there were over 1,500 shows mm-hmm. that he has listed, not to mention the shows that people have in their own catalogs and things, and, and I guess you have to sort of separate the the uh, wheat from the chaff, sort of, and pick the best. But most of us have the idea, certainly the, uh, this representation uh, it would be my idea. And, I'm, and Walden gave some great ideas, of course, on the six-shooter and frontier gentlemen to represent Westerns, because those were very sophisticated, intelligent Westerns. Well, I have a trivia for both you and Patricia. Okay. Ruh-roh. Ruh-roh. And it's tied into our guest, Jimmy Nelson. Okay. Do you remember what he said with Firefox first words? So my trivia question was, okay, he used Firefox first words with the same catchphrase of a famous uh, figure in old-time radio. Who was it? Well, his first words were, I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So who who had that catchphrase in old-time radio? I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I wouldn't say about that, you know. Well, I'm sure one of your listeners will know. And That's I, right. I, and I just want to know, anybody who went to Jimmy Nelson, and when Jimmy threw that in there, that caught my ears. And I have one for you just to get my memory straight. What was the name of the ABC radio show he did with Highway in the title? Do you remember the name of the series he did? Uh, I had to pull out um, the tape. Highway Frolics. Highway Frolics? Yeah. Mm. Okay. I wrote down. I wonder if there's any recordings of that series out. I imagine somebody will show for net, or they'll send us 20 hours of it. Okay, oh. whoever has it out there, call in. 
right, because that's a series I had never heard of before, and so you learn something. You know, you learn something new every day on listening to Yesterday USA. You bet. Thank you, Jim. So we'll close it in and let you guys. Maybe one of your listeners will know the answer. Well, I hope okay, so. Okay. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. Well, pleasure. Bye bye. Bye. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. Answer Walden's questions or. Patricia, My questions. What? I have some hard ones tonight, so I'll ask them, and Googling is an acceptable practice as long as I get the correct answer when you call in. Are we ready? We're ready. All right. I have three questions. All I need is the answer to one of them. Where is the S.C. Johnson company that made Johnson's Wax on Fibber McGee located? Where is the S.C. Johnson Company? Patricia wants to know the street address and what block they're on. <laughs> no, just the town. <laughs> and Harlow Wilcox repeats it periodically, and it is part of the show. So that's a good, legitimate Saber McGee question. All right, the next one is, this one's a very hard one. I should have put this in the bonus. Finish the lyrics to the Rinso ad jingle that begins, Rinso white, Rinso bright. What's the rest of the song? And, and can I throw a bonus one on that? Sure. Who is credited to be the first singer of that famous radio commercial? <clears throat> oh, Mama Mia, you really are. <laughs> when you play hardball with Walden, he's going to win every time. Okay, I think that's worth at least two CDs. I'll give you a hint. He wound up being a gigantic famous opera singing star. Okay, well, you go. we can go with that one. All right, so you have to finish the lyrics, and it's only four words. The beginning is Rinso White, Rinso Bright, and the rest. Uh oh. Patricia, there? Thank Patricia, we lost her. No, I'm here. There you go. Yeah, you cut out again on us. Well, for heaven's sakes, I wonder what I'm doing wrong over here. Well, maybe the. Maybe. Move the, may, I'll move the phone. Maybe, maybe Farfall decided to say, I don't know, Jimmy. I don't know. I'm on one of these cordless thingies, and it's usually pretty good, but I had it in my pocket, so I'll take it out of my pocket. <laughs> I'm sorry. Are, am I still with you? You're, you're great now. Okay, so we've got Rinso. Uh, boy, you say that three times. Rinso White. No wonder they pay them so well for this stuff. Rinso White, Rinso Bright. What's the rest of the song? And the third question is, on your Bet Your Life with Groucho Marx, um, it was on radio before it was on TV. Now, George Fenneman was the announcer on television. Who was the announcer on the radio show? You Bet Your Life radio show announcer. So I want the location of the S.C. Johnson company that made Johnson's Wax, or finish the lyrics to the jingle that begins Rinso White, Rinso Bright, or... You Bet Your Life with Groucho Marx, who was the announcer on the radio show. Those are pretty hard questions. Those are good, though. Yeah, good, good people question. can't call tonight and say, oh, they're too easy. I would have been stymied by these. I looked them up. <laughs> and what do they get the win, Patricia? <gasps> oh, my goodness, yes. This is a CD dealie, and you get to pick whichever shows you would like me to fill the CD with, and I will even go down lists. If you like westerns or comedies or spooky stuff, I'll go down a whole list with you, and you can tell me what you like, and I will send you a CD. If you answer Walden's second question, now all I want is the end of the jingle. Walden wants to know who was the singer who put out that little jingle, and if mm -hmm. you get both of those, you'll get two CDs. 
Seven, I think that's a pretty good deal. 714-545-2071. Let's, let's write that down. 714-545-0. Oh. No, 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 no. I can't give O. I'm sorry. <laughs> Two. O. Seven one seven one four five four five two zero oh, seven one. And you have to make us feel loved tonight, so you have to call in. We still haven't gotten a call from New York. Um, we will settle for the Northeast anywhere up there, tri-state area preferred. If you want to sing, uh, you know, East Side, West Side, the New York song, I'm happy to hear that too. Sure, that, that'll be a good one. And if you want to send us emails, I am at floridawriter at hotmail.com. Florida Writer is all one word. And Walden is at Walden Hughes at yesterday USA. You have to let us know if somebody's out there listening. Gosh, if you don't, Patricia and I will just say. Well, you'll have to answer my questions. Yeah. <laughs> And you can do it, too. Okay, trivia time. Trivia time, trivia time. Where is S.C. Johnson located? Finish the Rinso White song. And who was the announcer on You Bet Your Life with Groucho Marx? Well, Patricia, oh. did you listen to any radio shows this week that caught your ears? You're asking me? or I'm asking you. <gasps> me? Oh, my goodness, yes. I was listening to Henry Aldrich this week, and I just like that show so much. Why? Why do you like Henry Aldrich? Because they are, um, I mean, the, the situations that he and Homer, mm -hmm. his friend, get into are unrealistic, and yet the performances and the script writing made them believable. They're not lunatic shows where you... Um, have to suspend your intelligence. You just have to engage your imagination, but you don't have to suspend your intelligence, as happened with some of the other shows with kind of goofy situations with kids. But it's just plain fun how the uh, the script tumbles. It, it's like dominoes. This one causes this reaction, causes this reaction, and it just keeps going. And the kids wind up coming out at the end being unscathed, but the poor parents are... Been, they've been through the meat grinder. So my favorite, at least for this week anyway, if anyone is out there and looking for Henry Aldridge, please look at Selling Christmas Cards. It's from April, help me, Walden, April what? Um, First, I'll tell you in just a second. Okay. That is the beautiful Patricia. Don't look anything up for us, and you can give us a call at 714 545 2071. I'd like to know if you're going to recommend a radio show or something to somebody who's never heard it. Please tell me. I'll, I'll tell you some of the early things that caught my ear as a kid. Um, as Patricia looking things up. Oh, I got it. Okay. Oh, boy, am I good or what? <laughs> it is from June 18th, 1942, and they're selling Christmas cards in June because they are the kind that have to have names printed on them, so they have to take orders for their Christmas cards early. And it is one of the best shows, in my opinion, anyway, because humor is such a personal thing. Yeah. I think that's one of the best shows they ever did. Wow. And we like hearing that. I, you know, as a kid, when I first got started, those were days when 
<clears throat> we used to have eight track tape. Does anybody ever remember what eight track tapes were like? You know. I remember. Yeah. And when uh some of the early ones that caught my ear as a kid, uh were a shadow where these robbers uh hiking hitchhiking a train. And they're looking for some ruby or some diamond. I forget the name of the episode. I think it's 1948. Um, also, as a kid, Bing, one of the uh, night, the opening show for Bing Crosby was Judy Garland and Bob Hope in October 1st, 1950. That was a, a favorite of mine as a small kid. Probably because, you know, Bing was still alive and Bob was alive. And I, I, could, I knew who those personalities were. And it was just... As a, a ten-year-old boy, it was just great hearing the repartee of those two comedians and having Ju- Judy uh, sing "Get Happy." You know, classic, huh? classic songs. Um, and I said, mentioned that the Orson Welles "Treasure Island" on a record album was, you know, so for a youngster who was being exposed to old-time radio and collecting. Those were some of the things that really caught my ear. I think the Jack Benny uh, one as a kid that I loved was the Gopher Trap. Oh, yeah. I loved that as a kid. You know. So those are some of my recommendations right off the bat as a kid uh, that I think would help, you know, encourage people to further the love of old-time radio. Because I think, I think it's, it's important to, when you're introducing somebody, give them a really good one. And because I think after they hear 20, 30, and they really like it, then I think you got a, a good chance to have somebody who is could be a, a potential devoted fan of old-time radio. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important when you're introducing to find things that would uh, uh, make them come back for more. I think if you're putting together an introduction collection, you should have a minimum of two shows or two episodes per show mm-hmm. so that when you pique somebody's interest, they've got a second one to go to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they can go back for more. But I think one is like one candy out of a lifesaver roll. Mm-hmm. You either get the pineapple or, <laughs> mm-hmm. or the cherry. You want to go back and see if there are any other flavors. Sure. Sure. You remember the very first old-time radio you heard from beginning to end? What that was? I can remember it was a Sam Spade, but I don't remember which episode. Uh-huh. So it must have been good enough for you to stick with the hobby. It was good enough for me to stick with the hobby. Yeah. I just, I was so enchanted with the thought that people could really use their brains, you know? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and I think the beautiful thing about old-time radio in today's market is so many people uh, listen to it while they're surfing on the net. Mm-hmm. And I think it's extremely compatible, and I think that's part of the reason why uh, it had boomed such, such so well with, the, with, with yes. kids. When I'm doing busy work, and when I say busy work, it can be something as simple as cleaning up the mess that's on my desk, mm-hmm. I will frequently tune into a show and enjoy that while I'm doing stuff that I don't need my brain for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good stuff. Yep. 714-545-2071 is our number. 
545-2071. And we do have two Fibber McGee and Molly. Yes, in the wings. we do. Yeah. I'm going to tell you about the first one. I'll tell you the name of the second one. So you have to come back for the second helping. The first one is from June 1st, 1943, and it is Fibber's thumb caught in a bowling ball, as only Fibber could do. Um, he's trying to teach Molly to bowl. He selected a ball, and of course he gets his thumb caught, and they're in a bowling alley. And as only Fibber can do, on his way to Doc's office, because Doc is going to rescue him, they run into all of the people from the neighborhood, all of the regulars in the show, and here is poor Fibber with his thumb stuck in a bowling ball. But it's one of the funner shows because he does something in his own typical Fibber way again. Um, I think it's a great example of how um, the writers Don Quinn and Phil Leslie made the ludicrous sound perfectly normal. I mean, Fibber could make something that was so outrageous seem like a normal problem. And that's what they did here. So it is June 1st, 1943, and the name of it is Fibber's Thumb Caught in a Bowling Ball. And just as a teaser, the next one will be Flying Saucer Lands in the Yard, which is one of my favorite shows. <laughs> it is so cool. So the first one is Fibber's Thumb Caught in a Bowling Ball. Should we play it? Sure. All right. And Patricia and I will be back after this terrific Fibber, McGee, and Molly. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax, Johnson's Carnew, and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn, with music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra. One thing we all know without having to be in the Army, a soldier's uniform gets pretty hard wear. It just can't escape being exposed to moisture, weather, and stains. Did you know that actually many of those uniforms are waxed to give them added protection? That's right. They're impregnated with a special wax emulsion to make them water-repellent and stain-resistant, to keep them clean longer and easier to launder. A special wax finish for this purpose called Drax, D-R-A-X, is made by the makers of Johnson's Wax. It's used by many textile mills and by many army laundries, too. The water repellency of a garment can be renewed and maintained by the laundry or dry cleaner at very small cost. After the war, you'll be able to have your outdoor clothes, your children's play suits, and things like curtains and drapes, Drax treated, and you'll find it a great convenience. In the meantime, finishing mills and others interested may learn more about Johnson's Drax by writing to S.C. Johnson & Son at Racine, Wisconsin, and Brantford, Ontario. two places where a man could go to get away from women. One was the barber shop, the other was the bowling alley. The barber shop was lost to us years ago. 
And now the bowling alley is going to, as we meet, Fibber McGee and Molly. You know, it's awful sweet of you to teach me how to bowl, McGee. 